We continue in the book of 1 Samuel. This is chapter 18, 1 Samuel 18. So where are we in the book of 1 Samuel? David has been anointed. He has gone out against Goliath, against the giant, and defeated him. Uh, when David was anointed in 1 Samuel 16, it states that the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And the very next verse says, And the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul had been rejected by God. He's received the due punishment for his rejection. He's actually on this earth seeing some of the wrath of God. And throughout the book, and really for the rest of 1 Samuel, we increasingly see the tragic deterioration of Saul and the rise of David. And as Saul becomes more and more distraught, indeed he seems to go crazy, we see David becoming more and more full of peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. In this part of 1 Samuel chapter 18, we see David being loved by everyone. Everyone except for Saul. So I'm going to read 1 Samuel chapter 18. I'll begin reading in verse 5. I will read the entire chapter. I will ask you to stand at the very end just in honor of the reading of God's holy word, but remain seated for now. Verse 5, And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were coming home when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines and songs of joy and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear. For he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all of his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. Then Saul said to David, Here's my elder daughter Merab. I will give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, Let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. And David said to Saul, Who am I, and who are my relatives, my father's clan in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king? But at the time when Merab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, she was given to Adriel, the Mahalothite, for a wife. Now Saul's daughter, Michael, loved David. 
And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. Saul thought, Let me give her to him, that she may be a snare for him, that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, You shall now be my son-in-law. And Saul commanded his servants, Speak to David in private and say, Behold, the king has delight in you, and all his servants love you. Now then, become the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servants spoke those words in the ears of David. And David said, Does it seem to you a little thing to become the king's son-in-law, since I am a poor man and have no reputation? And the servants of Saul told him, Thus and so did David speak. Then Saul said, Thus shall you say to David, The king desires no bride price except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines, that he may be avenged of the king's enemies. Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law. Before the time had expired, David arose and went along with his men and killed 200 of the Philistines. Do you please stand now for the last few verses, just in honor of God's holy word, inspired by God. Verse 27, And David brought their foreskins, which were given in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter Michael for a wife. But when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was continually, was David's enemy continually. Then the commanders of the Philistines came out to battle. And as often as they came out, David had more success than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was highly esteemed. Amen. Please be seated. Let us pray for wisdom from God. Our Father, we come to you once again as your people asking that you would grant us wisdom. Lord, we pray that we would understand the the truth of the scripture that we have read that you would strike a straight blow with this crooked stick, that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. So the title of the sermon is The Favor of God. All throughout this chapter, indeed for the rest of 1 Samuel, we see the favor of God resting upon David in a way that's almost palpable. So let's look at it. In verse 5, David went out and was successful wherever Saul had sent him wherever Saul had sent him. And it was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants or Saul's house. David had favor. He had favor not just with the people, not just with Saul's family. Remember in the previous week we talked about Jonathan giving David his own royal robes, in effect saying, you are the crown prince now, not me. seemed that everyone loved David, and now Saul had made him the captain of the guard, if you will. So the shepherd is now wearing royal robes, and he's the captain of the guard in the king's palace. And this was good in the sight of all the people, and in the sight of all Saul's house. Everyone loved him. Six times in 1 Samuel 18, six times, And this is special. 
The Hebrew word for love is used in reference to David. That's used in Hebrew for emphasis. It's like an exclamation point. What we're supposed to gather from this is that God's favor had rested upon David to such a degree that everyone who should hate him loved him. Verses 1 and 3 reference Jonathan as being the one who loved David. Verse 16, all Israel and Judah loved David. Verse 20 and 28, Michael loves David. And verse 22, all of Saul's servants in the whole kingdom, Israel and Judah, love David. Everyone loves David. Wouldn't that be great if everyone loved you? Well, not everyone. So three times in 1 Samuel 18, we read that Saul stands in awe of David and fears David. Again, this is emphasis. Three times in Hebrews is always like the exclamation point. So six times is the double exclamation point, if you will. So although David is greatly, greatly loved, he's also greatly feared by Saul. And this caused him to hate David, to hate him. Verse 6 we read, when they were coming home and David returned from striking the Philistine, the women came out singing. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. They're excited. David had just killed the giant. Surely this was an innocent mistake. They had no idea that Saul was going to be so offended. They're just singing a song. David had just killed the giant. But Saul was very angry, it says in verse 8. The thing displeased him. This, this term in Hebrew, very angry, I know you've heard me talk about it before. Usually it's his nose got hot in Hebrew. But here it just says, he was hot. Not just his nose, Saul was hot. He was that angry. They've ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they've only ascribed thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? It sounds like a three-year-old to me. I've, I've negotiated these fights with my own kids when they were little. It's like, no, hold on, you're not seeing the whole picture. And it says, and Saul eyed David from that day on. So here we have a contrast, and it's going to be continuing until Saul is gone, until he's dead. The hatred of Saul and the love of David. The malice of Saul and the peace of David. Saul grasping at power and honor. And David leaving it all in Yahweh's hands. So the point of application, two quick points of application. First, David caused these reactions, these two reactions among the people in Israel. Love or hatred. Most seem to love him. Christ also brings about one of two reactions in all of the world. Only with Christ, most seem to hate him. But you either love Jesus or you hate Jesus. He said as much in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to one a fragrance from death to death, to the other the fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? 
So when we minister the gospel, when we share the good news of Jesus Christ, there are going to be these two reactions. It may not be overt hatred, but certainly the soul that doesn't have Christ hates Christ. This is clear. Why is that? 1 Corinthians 1 tells us, The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. There's always this contrast. Hatred and love, wisdom and folly. When Jesus is ever brought up or mentioned in any context, you'll find one of those two reactions. You may have to dig under the surface to see it, but it's there. And Jesus, you remember this morning, we talked about it. Jesus said the world would hate us and the church would love us. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, what? If you love one another. This is what the church does. We love, but the world is going to hate. At the end of the day, everyone either loves Jesus or hates Jesus. Application number two. We see also here in this relationship between Saul and David a contrast between kind of life philosophies, if you will. Those like Saul who are without Christ really are never at rest. They see threats and dangers everywhere. These things always are are things that would slow them to the point of uh, despair. They strive to protect their lives and reputations and their estates. Everything's a worry. They grasp at everything that the world has to offer that might bring them some measure of happiness or contentment. And then they're angry and suspicious of those who seem more content. This is Saul. This is all who were without Christ. But for the Christian, it's the very opposite, isn't it? That's not that we don't have tribulation or trial or suffering, as we discussed this morning. Life is filled with some suffering and with hard work, but it's for a different purpose altogether. We work as hard as we can for Christ, as heartily as unto the Lord. And the Christ follower has the attitude of David. We're not angry when other people succeed. We say, Lord, it's in your hands. And we'll see in many times in the next few chapters, David could have easily grasped the kingdom and had it. He would not. He said, Lord, this is in your hands. Rather than being suspicious of others, treating others as enemies, we put our trust in God alone and leave all vengeance to the Lord. We don't fight against the world with swords and guns. We fight with love, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We love each other and we love those who hate us. We rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Why is that? Because we know the God who created the whole universe and holds all of it together by the word of his power. That's our God. And if you know God, there's no reason that you should worry about your life. In short, David is simply living life before the face of God. He sees God and he knows he's real. This is how we also should live. Work hard on this earth for the sake of Christ. Hold loosely to all of the blessing God gives us. The physical blessings, the honors. 
whatever reputation, it's all for God. Remember Paul said, I consider all things rubbish. Everything that the world has to offer, it's rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So we have great peace, whether we're in comfort or tribulation, we have peace because we love Jesus and we know our God. We don't know what tomorrow might bring, but we know who wrote the day tomorrow and who holds our hand in the midst of tomorrow. And this enables us, it empowers us to live like Christ, to live a life of service, even when we struggle, even when we're distressed. Philippians 2 is our attitude. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being of full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. It's only if you see God clearly that you can ever hope that this would make any sense to you. Matthew 20, Jesus said to them, You know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. Those not in Christ really have the attitude of Saul. Suspicious, worried, anxious, jealous. Uncertain. Certainly Saul is different. He had completely rejected Yahweh. He had completely rejected Samuel. God had given him everything he needed. His word, his own prophet. And he rejected it all and went his own way, pursued his own ends thinking he could still kind of have it both ways. I want God, but I also want to do what I want. And because of the great responsibility with which he was entrusted, God let him have his own way and rejected him. And that's why we read in verse 10 that the next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul. It seems that it's making Saul mad. It's making him crazy. He's been turned over to his own devices and he's also experiencing a bit of judgment on the earth with this spirit that's tormenting him. And he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. There's some some irony here, isn't there? The future king is the one who brings comfort to the present king. The present king is being tormented because he's rejected God. The future king has the Holy Spirit in him and comforts the one being tormented. Not to pull on this too much, but this is our job in the world, isn't it? We bring salt to an unflavored world. We bring light to a dark world. And what's Saul's response? He had a spear in his hand and he threw it at him twice. So why does Saul do this? He's probably hating David so much and he's probably also 
going mad. So why doesn't David leave? Because David actually stays in the, in the palace. Why? We don't really know why, except that he probably attributes this to Saul's madness. But this happened twice, so I'm sure the first time, maybe. Second time, I don't know. But the Lord was with him. Saul removed him from his presence, verse 13, made him a commander of a thousand. He's a young man, probably early 20s, right? He's a commander of a thousand. He's a division commander. Every division commander I've ever known, every wing commander I've ever known has been an old guy. You've been, well, for the military, 50s. There's no 20-year-olds who command a division, who command a wing, and yet that's David. He had such favor before the, the king and the people. In verse 16, again, all Israel and Judah loved him. Saul's hoping that David dies in the battle. And isn't it interesting, this is also helpful for us, Saul and all his machinations to hurt David work in God's favor and work in David's favor. It's the same in our lives. People who hate you because of Christ, everything they try only works to God's glory in some way. You can't outsmart God. And God really does give David favor in the world, and God often gives his own children such favor. Remember Abraham? Remember Joseph and his favor? David obviously has favor. Daniel received favor from God. Why is that? Well, Paul told us in Romans 8, because we have been bought with a price. We are God's children. His Spirit dwells within us. So Saul connives this next plan. Michael must have been, his daughter, must have been a piece of work, some kind of troublemaker or something. Because he plans to give Michael to to David and thinks that this is going to really be a bad thing, a thorn in David's side. And Saul says that he has to go kill 100 or, depending on the transcript you read, 200 Philistines. And bring their foreskins. This would be the bride price. One of David's problems was that he was poor. Or he thinks he's poor. And he's too poor to pay for a bride. Which was the custom of the day. So Saul figures out a way that maybe David would get killed. And he knew that if he sent David to battle, he would probably want to go. So he did. But it all flips on him. Because David kills the Philistines. And Michael, rather than being a thorn in his flesh, loves him. Verse 28 says, When Saul saw that and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him, he was even more afraid of David. So he was David's enemy continually. I think the reality for Saul was, by opposing David, he's actually just opposing God. We need to remember that because God has put his mark on your forehead because God has put his spirit within you. When the world comes against you, they're coming against God. You're the apple of his eye. If you've been adopted, if you are his child, then you have Christ Jesus as your commander, the Lord of hosts. And his favor is real. And he does subdue all of our enemies for his own glory. 
Now, it may not be in our lifetime, but all of His enemies and all of our enemies in Christ will be subdued to the power of Jesus. Especially when He comes again in glory, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So God still loves His children. He still protects His children. And like David, He still favors His children. This means that you are secure We read that in Romans 8. In all these things, we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. I'm convinced that neither death or life, angels or rulers, or anything will be able to separate us from the love of God. That's about as safe and secure as you could ever be. It also means that we have hope today. You remember Jesus explaining this relationship to his disciples said, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. When the father, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Do you see that the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are conspiring for you and your good? You have nothing to be afraid of. You have hope for today. And his favor also means that you will always be in his love. Because it's an infinite love. It's an unchangeable love and it's an eternal love. In Isaiah 43, we read that this is God talking to Israel and through Israel to us. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you, and through the rivers, and they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, it shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. So remember this as we conclude the sermon, that there may be trouble and hardship in life, But we know that our lives are managed by a loving God, an almighty, sovereign Father. David understood this. Saul did not. In trials and in tribulations, David trusted God. He trusted his Redeemer from old. He knew that he had God's favor and love. And so he was encouraged. So I say to you as well, don't give up, but trust that God is for you. If you have faith in God, He certainly is. Why is that true? It's because of Christ and His sacrifice. And we're going to turn our hearts now to um, the 